We've been hooked by Derek Carr before. He has had really good seasons. The season where the Raiders went to the playoffs and he got yeah. injured and didn't play in the game, he looked like an MVP. We were, we're all saying it has to be the two middle teams. Does it? I know. Are the Raiders exempt from being considered for last place? I don't have them. I mean Devil's Advocate. There's no meat on that bone. They got, really, they got better. They got really good players. They got really good players. And their coach I really respect. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. Back here, Coalfield and Company, Hill and his homies edition on this Wednesday. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez. I don't know. There's so many rankings, so many disagreements, so many arguments. That's what the offseason is for. It's fun. That's what we like to do. Well, you like to stir the pot. Not, no. I like to say what's happening. And a lot of people just dis- a lot of people see things differently than I do. It's not stirring the pot. It's just what's you're not a potster. How, how you in, see things in general? In general, you're not a potster. No, I get accused of it, but it's not true. Like, <laughs> I, so, so I'll, people I'll that you, are accusing you are the potsters. I'll, 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 I'll give you an example because I'm still I still got accused of this the other night when I was I was having dinner with some friends from Kansas. Okay. The the bracket came out for the NCAA tournament. Okay. I sent a text to some of my Kansas friends, and I said. You guys have to be doing jumping jacks right now. I'm immediately running to the window to bet Kansas to win the national title. This is the easiest path I've ever seen mm. for a team in the NCAA basketball tournament, ever. This is a walk in the park right. to the Final Four, so you have to bet them to win. And their response was, why are you messing with us and stirring the pot? I'm not. Well, no. That I'm is- telling you yeah. that they they have a cakewalk. To, if they blow this, it's embarrassing. Right. Now, as it turns out, I'm not right all the time. I was just right. That's not stirring the pot. And they literally, I was having dinner with them the other night. Remember when you tried to get us riled up and stir the pot by saying Kansas had an easy path to the Final Four? They did. This is before the tournament. It's not like I said it afterwards, like, well, yeah, you had an easy path. Before the tournament, I told them, you have a cakewalk to the Final Four. How is that stirring the pot? That's just telling them what's going on. I want Las Vegas to be aware that I have... Stirred the pot. I hear I've gotten Adam riled up. Yeah, because it's it's a it's ridiculous. <laughs> it just was. I was stirring the pot. When you when you just say what you're what you think or how you view things, and people <laughs> people just view things differently, it's it's insane. But no, that was not stirring the pot. That was just expressing how I felt. So no, I don't like to stir the pot necessarily. But I mean, it is it's. I like to have debates and arguments, sure. But that's because I like to have debates and arguments about things. I like to stir the pot in the like in the in the Raiders media room when it's all of us and you, me, PG, Vic. You know, we get together. Well, I think I mean, listen. Some people's job is to sit there and be sarcastic, and some is to actually do work. Well, it just depends on where you sit in the room. <laughs> I don't. I don't know what you guys. I don't know what you guys are talking about. That's. I mean, some people's job is to do work. Some is to try to be sarcastic and get the biggest laugh in the room. Yeah. I do a little bit of both. It's not it's not directed at anybody in particular at all. Nope. It's just, it's just how it is. Um, I don't know the segue to that. Uh, <laughs> well, talk about the Raiders. Yeah, sure. Uh, PFF, yeah. one of their writers, came out with a list of its most team-friendly contracts. In the NFL. Okay. Basically, players that outperform how much they're getting paid and they didn't get an extension, they're still just playing on that contract. 
and they're overperforming what they're doing. So basically, underpaid players is essentially what the list is. Okay. Number three on that list is a young man by the name of Darren Waller. I think many would agree. Incredibly underpaid. When he got his deal, it was a nice payday, a nice reward for somebody who, you know, kind of scratched and clawed his way back to relevance. Now he's an unmitigated superstar in the NFL, top three at his position, and he's incredibly underpaid. Two years left on a deal that pays him $7 million a year. It's silly, really. I made the case if I was Darren Waller, there's no way, no way I would be near offseason activities. You'd be giving me a new contract. He has played it differently. He's talked a little bit about it, mm-hmm. but kind of, you know, stayed under the radar, gone about his business, showed up every day. I don't know how long that continues, but it wouldn't for me. I wouldn't be playing on this deal. Three weeks, right? July 20th, so starting tomorrow's three weeks, 21 days before veterans have to report. Will we hear anything? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, they've locked everybody else up. Yeah. <laughs> you don't sound confident. It's it's one of those things where you, you it's so easy to go no because if they would have they already would but it's it it would be just like the Raiders to we'll get the announcement. Well, it's Raiders. I'm still and I'm I'm still shell shocked from it and I think I've talked about this before but I literally asked Dave Ziegler in Indianapolis what is going on with Max Crosby's contract extension? Isn't this something you should be working on? Shouldn't it be close? And he said, it's not really close, not really a priority. And then we got back from Indianapolis and they announced it. We'll get him on the <laughs> phone and let's ask him, what is he doing? You know, maybe you. So just so he can. Maybe you should again? call Ziegler and steer the pot. <laughs> steer the pot a little bit. Well, that's other. It's other people's jobs to, do, to, to actually report on things. It's mine to be sarcastic and joke around. Uh here, so let me ask you this. Person. Let me ask you this because team friendly, the way that this is worded, and I get it, the car's been extended, but in reality, he somewhat got a team friendly contract because he's only guaranteed one year. That's, that's true. <laughs> but he also is not among the top three at his position. No, 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 no. And so, I mean, I think that that's also part of it. And listen, it, part of this is we have seen what's happened with elite pass catchers, and they have gotten a ton of money and, and continue to. Terry McLaurin just got a ton of money and well deserved. Uh, but as far as tight ends, the market has kind of been set. It's around that George Kittle number, like $15 million a year. A bunch of players, like even David Joku now, got a contract significantly more than Darren Waller. It's, it's a preposterous contract. Insanely team-friendly. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, surprised, I'm somewhat surprised he's not number one on the list. Uh, but he is, he is right now number three. Uh, for most team-friendly contracts in the NFL, I will tell you that number one is actually Jordan Mailata, which is a little bit surprising. I mean, he's his deal was four years, $64 million at tackle. Uh, he has now kind of established himself as one of the top tackles in the league. So uh, according to those metrics, um, still probably underpaid, undervalued a little bit. Uh, I know that the projection for Waller should be about $15 million a year for maybe three years. So three years, 45, that's about the right deal. Right now it's two years for 14 is what he has left on his deal. Uh, so pretty crazy. Mike Evans, 
of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, actually number two on this list because he signed his five-year deal three years ago, and at the time, it was a pretty massive contract. Five years, $82.5 million. Now there's two years at $14.25 million a year left. That means all these guys that are getting deals this year. Like, what, 22 receivers got deals over $15 million? Yeah. And he is still under $15 million. Pretty crazy. But, there, you know, there's, there's these players all over the league uh, that are up there. I should point out the Broncos have two of the most team-friendly contracts, uh, which should help them a bit. And that massive Patrick Mahomes deal is now a top six. Yeah, it was just most team-friendly contracts, mostly because of the structure of it, that they can just keep rolling over money and kind of pushing it off and pulling it back a little bit. Uh, but that is a very team-friendly contract for Patrick Mahomes as well. Um, they also have a uh, PFF. We'll stick with them. They put out their top corners and man coverage. They did. Before you go on, did you see who number eight is? I didn't. Tom Brady. Well, yeah, I mean, his is insane. His contract still, I mean, he came back for almost nothing again, which is what he's always done, which, I mean, it's also, look, it's a way for you to manage the cap. It's also, a way, like, we, we. it sounded like he was going to get ownership stake in the Dolphins, which is illegal, but uh, it sounded like that was going to happen. And when your wife makes a lot more than you, you don't really have to go for all the <laughs> cash, which is true. Yeah. Uh, nice for him. Um, yeah, top corners and man coverage only. Number three, in terms of grading, is a Raider. Rock Yasin. One of their two. One of their two. Uh, didn't, they, they picked up two during the offseason. I'm still, you know, I think that that's one of the big question marks for this defense in, in, in that particular unit is can someone come in and fill the role both on and off the field in the locker room as Casey Hayward did? Um, you know, I, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, Gus Bradley having his system in place and bringing his system-friendly guys that had played for him. But um, it, it's a matter of just having that that premier leadership in the secondary. Someone could come in and, and be a voice and be a leader. So remains to be seen. And I think there's still definitely questions about his ability in zone, but I, I know that uh, Patrick Graham has said, hey, we need our corners to play man for some of the stuff that we want to do. So yeah. uh, when they're a man, that will uh, certainly work out for them. Um, I think we'll get into this later, uh, but just the headline. I know uh, I just went over uh, just before the show and talked with Q over on Raider Nation Radio about the Raiders being the 21st ranked roster uh, in some of the new rankings that came out. Um, a lot of thoughts on this one, but we'll uh, we'll continue the conversation on the Raiders uh, later on in the program, along with uh, some of that conversation you heard earlier. Uh, good morning football. Nobody, I think, had the Raiders as the worst team in the FC West. And I think that's – it's it, it's interesting because I know the odds do. Uh, I don't. But we've also, we've also talked about kind of from the beginning, like I, I think of all the divisions, there's no set even – like anybody can finish first, anybody can finish last in this division. I've, I agree with that. Um I, I think it's I think it's wide open. I don't I one hundred percent don't think that the Raiders are the the fourth team, um, but I also believe that the team that should have the the odds to win it, the lowest odds, are the Chargers, not the Chiefs. No, come on, yeah, come on, Chargers. No, oh you're oh you're saying they should be the favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, correct. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. 
uh, especially with the, the part of the reason, the part of the problem we talk about the Raiders is the schedule. Right. Well, the only team with a harder schedule in the league is the Chiefs. Their schedule is historically hard. Mm. It might be the most difficult schedule in NFL history when when things are all said and done. So, like when if if people if this year if you're saying the Chiefs suck now and then the Chiefs actually do struggle this year with their record, you're like, see, I told you, no, no, right. no. If, if that team if that team goes. 11 and 6 on that schedule, that is one of the great accomplishments you will ever see. All I know is that I have a bet with Cofield, and I have plus two and a half wins with the Raiders against the Chiefs. Mm. I'll be collecting dinner. Very possible. I have the audio. We'll see if uh we'll see if Caleb Herring wants to make that bet. We'll talk to him next. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Electrifying is the word, and and we saw glimpses of it the prior season. You know, Derek was a junior, Devontae was a redshirt freshman, and he burst onto the scene and just, he was undefendable. But what you saw in 2013 was both of those guys, I mean, they were so consistent, they were so dangerous, there was just nothing you could do. Former UNLV quarterback and current voice of the Rebels on radio, Caleb Herring is live right now on Cofield and Company. Caleb, the voice of the Rebels. That was the voice of Fresno State with the great Cassie Soto breaking down what it was like back with Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, and their time at Fresno State. They are on the field at Allegiant Stadium now, as are the Rebels, their football team, coming up right around the corner, sneaking up on us. We'll get some insights on UNLV and all sorts of other things from one of our smartest friends, Caleb Herring. How you doing, sir? Yeah. Oh, smartest friends. Sure. Thank you. Why not? Thank you so much. No, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How about you guys? I mean, it's accurate, right? You're a smart guy. I'd, I'd like to think so, but I, I think smart guys don't necessarily consider themselves smart. I think that's probably one of the markers of a smart guy. He hmm. kind of knows he needs to learn more before he goes around gloating about it. But I appreciate the compliment. See, that's how smart you are. <laughs> you're smart <laughs> enough to not say that you're smart. I like that. Um, I want to get into... A lot of things, but first, we were just talking about really, really important subjects like ice cream. I think that was part of it. Uh, the Raiders. Um, Two great topics. Yeah, for sure. Uh, we'll get into those. Uh, we did want to ask, though, about the Baker Mayfield situation, because I, I think from a quarterback's perspective, there's a lot of things that we potentially need to talk about. He sounds like he is in his feelings a little bit. Uh, he was asked about whether it could be rectified with Cleveland. He said, hey, they have to start that process. They have to reach out to me. Um, is that a good place to be in as a quarterback where you're like, hey, I'll play for this team, but they're going to have to reach out to me and really make me feel good? I mean, you find yourself in a position that basically every other free agent quarterback <laughs> or quarterback who's hopeful for playing in the NFL finds themselves in. You think you're there for a different reason. Um, I think he's, you know, that statement kind of takes the I was right approach to things and I, they need to ask me for forgiveness, <laughs> which is uh, not the position you're in as an athlete in a league, a professional league, especially. Uh, but that's not the position many athletes find themselves in. I think Baker Mayfield's in a position where, yes, the Browns may need a quarterback given Deshaun Watson's situation, um, but it's not like they need the quarterback. I think. Um, they could find another option that may not be as good as Baker Mayfield, but Baker Mayfield is still basically dangling in the wind, 
hoping for an opportunity to play again uh, in a not so certain way, um, looking at potentially not playing next season. So I don't I don't know that <laughs> any any player has ever been. Uh, there's a couple maybe that have had the power to, to say that to an NFL franchise um, that they need to come to him. Uh, you're hoping they come to you. Um, that's you know, that's the, the the free agent thing. It's like you've never been able to demand that a team lets you play. You hope that a team gives you an opportunity to play. So, yeah, they do need to come reach out to you because they're ultimately the ones that make the decision. So <laughs> I don't know if it's a power move or an attempt to regain the narrative. Let's remember here the the saga started with Baker Mayfield kind of uh, self-initiating his own exit from Cleveland. Like with the, the Instagram post about thanking the fans or whatever and, and those who booed, basically giving the, the finger to those people who wanted him out and then going on podcasts and saying he does he's not sure where he's going to land and, and all this. There wasn't a lot of actual um, movement by the Browns to get rid of Baker Mayfield. Um, this whole thing was kind of a, a behind the scenes deal until Baker made it public. And now he wants a public apology, I guess, or wants the Browns to make the first move. It's just a little weird coming from Baker Mayfield's position, finishing in the bottom ranking of quarterbacks last season, um, not having the best career so far as far as expectations that were for Baker Mayfield. But for him to say um, they have to come out to me first and reconcile, that's no, that's not how it works. And that's not how any team sport works because the players on the field aren't going to, you know, kiss your butt. You know, management, you guys should have a closed door meeting about your role going forward, which it should have been closed door meetings from the beginning, <laughs> but that's not how teams work. Like you, you can't be bigger, bigger than the team. You can't be, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the leader of the team while saying you have to bend to my every will. That's not how team sports work. Cause the guys in the locker room ain't going to respond to that. Yeah. Um, those th are the guys you're going to play with. But th that's what I wanted to get that with you next is like, how difficult would it be to like, how difficult would it be to just play quarterback with all these other things that have happened and everybody's very well aware of them, like could you just step out there and play well and everything is good or do you have to be like a leader and play well? Like it would would playing well just fix all of this stuff if Baker Mayfield does have to go back to Cleveland? Well, you can't play well, especially at quarterback, um, and not be the leader. Um, you can't play well and have drama in the closet that everybody knows about that's making things awkward, right? You can't. You you it, I mean you can you can go out there and throw some numbers up, but the team aspect of the game is not going to be there. The chemistry of the players is not going to be there if there's any contention. It sh it will show up, let's say, and there's teams that maybe have been able to win and be successful under tense circumstances. Um, the Buccaneers come to mind. I mean, they were still a, a very good team with a lot going on, but they weren't anywhere near as good as they could have been, and the margin for error for them is a lot bigger than Cleveland Browns Baker Mayfield. Right. That's Tom Brady with locker room contention. It's not Baker Mayfield like it's going to show up a lot more if the Browns aren't really feeling Baker Mayfield um, and his attitude or his leadership qualities off the field or any sort of drama off the field starts to seep in. That locker room is a lot more fragile than one of the great Tom Brady locker rooms of, of the past. So, no, you can't necessarily be your best. Um, if there is contention, if you're not being a leader in the sport, that is the ultimate team sport with the most moving parts with, like I said, the least room for Eric being the Cleveland Browns. I don't I don't think it's possible to to be successful on the field um, and not have the leadership part down too. Uh, 
that that is the concern of of the Browns for right now. He may go somewhere else, may move on. Uh, Seattle possible, Carolina possible. I know one of the issues could be that if him and Garoppolo are both available and will both be traded, well, the 49ers aren't going to send Garoppolo to Seattle. So if they are going to trade him, it would almost have to be Carolina, and then Baker would have to go to Seattle. That'd be the only landing spot. There's a lot of moving pieces still to go, but don't forget, if Deshaun Watson's out for the year, Baker Mayfield may very well be in Cleveland playing, so uh, there's a lot to go on here. Uh, UNLV is right around the corner, as we mentioned. Uh, We know the schedule. We know who they'll be playing. Uh, Obviously, some tough games on it, as usual. Uh, But what do you think is the most pivotal non-conference game for the Rebels this season? Um, so I would say the first game, Idaho State. I think that's uh that's really important because it's a it's the kind of game that was missing from the schedule last season. Um, and with the team that was so close in a lot of games last year, um, and this is not to just be a homer, but this is to tell the truth. UNLV could have had five, six wins last season, had you know the last play or the last couple minutes gone differently in those games. Um, they could have been a five, six, one team. And that's without what I think Idaho State is on the schedule. Not I, There's no such thing as a gimme win, but there are teams that you come into a game and you have the expectation that you should beat. UNLV really didn't have that if you look at uh, who they played last year. Everybody says Eastern Washington. They're a great team. And, you know, they, 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 they're they very uh, a solid team that had a lot of senior leaderships. Um, UTSA was a, a bowl win team, uh, NFL talent in the backfield. Uh, undefeated season just about. I, I'm not sure. I don't remember off the top of my head. They finished undefeated last year, but a solid team. Those were probably the two lower-ranked teams. And then when you get into the conference, you know, there's always the, the the toss-ups and the schedule there. But there was really no gimme games, and that's what the outsiders will call it. I know inside the locker room you would never say that. Um, but Idaho State, a one-win team last season, um, not really competitive in a lot of their games. For UNLV to have that to open the schedule and that really be the last gimme on the schedule because, like you said, it's pretty tough going for the rest of the season. Um, if they have plans on having a, a winning season, I think they can't afford to let the one slip that should be won. And it'll be a, a, a brilliant way to start the season, in my opinion, because it gives the fans and everybody else the the marker of expectation. Like, are they as good as they say they are or they want to be? Have they gotten to a better place as a program? Because this is a game they should win, and the good teams win the games they should win. Um, they don't, you know, lay an egg because it's a lesser opponent or something like that. They go out there and they take care of business, and we'll see if the Rebels can start their season off one and zero with a winning s- schedule. Um, uh, and then we'll see how the thing goes from there. But I think that's the most pivotal one because it's the one that I think everybody going into it expects a win from. It can make or break the fan morale around the program. Um, it can make or break the locker room as far as whatever you've been building on in the offseason. If it doesn't come to fruition in that game in the first week, it could be devastating for the team morale as well. So I think that's uh, the most important one. And this is the cliche part of the answer. Um, it's the most important because it's, it's the, the next, next on one the schedule. Up. It's the next one up. <laughs> I got that. So I've been saying, Caleb, that the – and I agree with everything you said. It's just that I believe that the North Texas game – is the most pivotal because no matter how this team starts, that that game can turn things. You know, can at least stop the bleeding. It can um, it can trigger a, a winning run, a, a, um, run off of a one on one start. If it loses to California, I personally think that because of everything you said off of last season and how promising that team looked with so many close losses that. 
like I'm on, I'm automatically giving them the victory against Idaho State. I just think that I, I'm watching Instagram stories. I'm watching this offseason since spring ball broke and before training camp. I'm watching team bonding activities. I believe that this team's going to come in with the right mentality, and I think that they're going to smack Idaho State. So I'm already with the assumption that they're going to win, and I get it. But let's just say that the, it, it ups, that they they score the up. The, you know that Idaho State comes in and wins. And then UNLV goes up to Cal with their tail between the legs, and they lose. That North Texas game, regardless of the record, whether it's 2-0, 1-1, or 0-2, to me is the most pivotal, because also it leads right into Mountain West Conference play. Right. So I, you're talking about the snowball effect of the season. So I think uh, uh, North Texas is a chance to rebound. Like you said, I think one of the – from the, the – um, projection standpoint it leads into conference play so you'd like to have confidence going into that against utah state i believe it is that next week um so i understand that um that 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 projection for me that requires some outcome a, a specific outcome from the first two games for north texas to be elevated above idaho state and i i, I get i'm completely there with the offseason the expectations that you have but i haven't completely changed my mind from the athlete in me right like and now i'm a media person i get it I, I have a different role but my lens that i look at games through especially football games is never uh, uh an assumption that i'm right going into it or that i know what's gonna happen i don't bet i don't gamble so i don't like i to me that's a scary thing to do because I, that's why we play the games um i and especially with this unlv program i know the different staff and everything but those of us that are fans of the program remember howard a few years back where it was the expectation oh, yeah. was um, to, to go in there and handle business against Howard. And that loss was the worst in UNLV history, um, in my opinion. Um, and the loss there was so devastating. And that's probably why I put so much emphasis on doing what you're supposed to do, because I know how how much that Howard loss stung the rest of that year. And then if you look at that year, come to the end of the season, the Rebels were ended up being a bowl, uh, a game away from bowl eligibility because of that early loss a loss that maybe they should have had. And if they handled the business, they would have had. So I think, like I said, UNLV doesn't have the room for error to, to say, oh, we, we'll, we let one slip away this season. It's when the games are supposed to win. We have a, a taste in Rebel history of not being able to do that. And I think it's more important for this team to, like you said, with all the offseason work and, and the camaraderie that the team has showed and the building blocks that have, we've seen um, as we watch this team develop and grow, they're there. Um, but I think it's important, too, for the team to see the results happen um, and that being a win. Uh, it's been too long that we've been saying that it's there. The pieces are there. The camaraderie is there. They're building on the right platforms. But it's devastating for teams to feel that way all off season and then start that season off with a loss, much less a loss to a team that you should have beat. So that's why I put the emphasis on the first one. I agree. North Texas is important. But I have to make sure that the Rebels can take care of business. They need to see themselves take care of business. Um, then who knows? They come in off game one um, to a riding on a high after that win. Maybe things uh, spin ball from there. And then they're going into conference play 3-0. You know, it's a possibility. But the first one is the most important. you got to tip that first domino, get that belief in you. And I, I like I said, I, we, we gr agree on most of the points. It's just I, as a player, this is my player lens. Looking at it, that first one is the most important because I want the guys to prove it to themselves that what they're doing right now in the offseason adds up to wins. And as uh, the quicker you can do that in the season, the better. You can't build the second floor without building the first, Caleb. 
No, you can't. I think they they they, I just, they even just made that up. <laughs> they did. It sounded so philosophical, so I I had to. There was truth in it. I had to do it. I don't even but, know if you know, that's constructively accurate. It's not because you can have I, a scaffold. I, I was gonna say that, uh, that there's gonna be a there's gonna be like some some suspension bridge construction uh, engineer that is like, no, that's not true. Yeah. You can <laughs> you can build from suspension and go downward. So well, I don't know. Actually, <laughs> the the best part about Twitter is that somebody will will tweet us in and say. No, you actually can build the second floor before you build the first. Yeah. And then somebody will respond to them like, no, I'm a construction worker. You can't. And you're like, okay, I don't even know what to believe anymore. All of a sudden, uh, it's just going to be a long thread authority. all because Adam stirred the pot. Yeah, that's Twitter. That's how we roll. <laughs> well, Caleb. You're the stir the pot guy, Adam. I are, love it. You are not. You are not at all. Uh, <laughs> you you are just insightful and smart and everything else. We appreciate it. Caleb Hanger underscore. You can get all of his insights on Twitter. And August 27th, it's right around the corner. UNLV football with the most pivotal game of the year. Against Idaho State, we thank you, sir. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. You too. Good stuff from Caleb. Always. Oh, we didn't ask him about his ice cream flavor. Maybe he'll weigh in on Twitter. Come back next. Finley Toyota. They'll do anything to sell you a car. No Toyota problem is too tough, too large. You're live with the Fat Pack on Cofield and Company. I'm gonna live till I die. I'm gonna laugh. Back here, Cole for the Company Hill and his homies edition on this Wednesday. God, there's two different directions we can go this fat pack here. I know we want to talk about ice cream because it is the poll question for today. No, we don't have to start with that. Well, we should. I mean, uh, cookies and cream winning 39.1 for favorite favorite ice cream. What's your favorite ice cream? Mint chocolate chip should not even be on the list. That's ridiculous. That's... You have to be 90-plus to eat mint chocolate chip. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I, it's actually finishing second right now at 26.1, which is silly. Uh, Rocky Road at 13. Of these choices, I'm going Rocky Road. I, I, I would go, if I'm going to eat ice cream, it would be any kind of chocolate base. Yep. And then, like, a lot of stuff, like a brownie and, like, a fudge or whatever in it. Like, anything like that, I'm, I'm in. Do you, so, okay. So like, chocolate, it, chocolate, chocolate. Okay, so what, uh, well, chocolate for me is is hands down. I mean, just. Plain old chocolate is fine. And I, I think you and I have discussed this, but back in the, I know we were talking about Baskin and Robbins the other day with ice cream cake, the original one down on Maryland Parkway. But I remember when my grandfather used to take me and my cousins and we'd go there and I'd always get the, you get the two scoops, you get the mix. And my favorite mix for some reason was chocolate with orange sherbet. And I have no clue why, <laughs> how that ever got started. But now with all these places that do the, like the frozen marble, and they mix it all up and everything. Um, there's so many different concoctions that they come out with, and I think my favorite ice cream to use as the base for those types of things when they mix all the stuff into it is like a a pralines and cream or something like that with the with the with the you know it's almost like it's peanut brittle like in a there butter pecan butter pecan no. but but it's got to have a bunch of stuff. Okay, that, butter pecan. It's you're if you're ninety pralines you're and cream years is, old. Pre, huh? If you're eating butter, if you're eating butter pecan, you're ninety years old. No, no, no. pralines and cream is the better one because that's the one that's got all the the nuts and the caramel and the whatever. But um, but chocolate is is the base. Now let me ask you this: so people did when you think chocolate chip, you think like the vanilla base or a French vanilla with the little mint chocolate. Do you like chocolate chocolate chip? So oh, yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. That's that's yeah. I like that better than yeah. the regular. Chocolate. Like a chocolate marshmallow. 
I'm not like a, a big fan of marshmallow in the, like I don't dislike Rocky Road. I'm just not a big fan of marshmallow in the ice cream. Marshmallow in hot chocolate, that's about it for me. This I was never silly. a big I was never a big marshmallow guy. Did you uh, although although, you know, during Chubby Bunnies. Uh that's that's a game that's uh yes. Do they uh, still play that? I don't no. know. Uh avocado, avocado ice cream is the go to for Tom Brady, although he is on vacation and it looks like he's eating not avocado ice cream. I don't know. Or was it pistachio? His, he's supposed to be eating avocado. It doesn't look green, though. It did. In one of the pictures, it did. The first one, oh, it boy. did. And then, and then the other one, you couldn't tell. Caleb uh, checked in. French vanilla for the versatility on top of warm apple pie or a brownie. All right. I mean, a, a French vanilla on a brownie is fine. How about the how about the, how, premium how about hot the, fudge how about the pizuki craze that took over with the yeah, like a cookie with ice cream on top of it? Yeah, sure. Fresh out the fresh out because the, the toll sure. house with the with the gooey. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a new item at Taco Bell. We we don't have time yet. Hopefully, we get to that in the next hour. Um, I don't know. I just don't know. I don't know. We'll get to it later though. Up next. Friend of the show, Tracy Murray. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. We've heard from Kevin Durant on everything. Uh, we haven't heard from him on this. Is he happy? Is he excited about the move? How does this affect how he's viewing the future? We don't know the health of Ben Simmons. Uh, we don't know what Kyrie's attitude is going to be going into a year like this. And then we also don't know if Steve Nash can manage what could potentially be a mess. Now. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Studio. What a song. What a song. Big day for the 76ers, maybe. James Harden opts out, might opt back in at a lower rate so they can have some flexibility. We'll see how that works out. Lots of moves around the NBA. Lots of chaos, lots of craziness. We are excited for the offseason because we love the drama of the offseason, where guys end up, where they're going. Sometimes they commit to a place and then have to hide out so nobody can find them. Like, there's so much drama in the offseason every year, but it all starts with the NBA Summer League. We're fired up for that, and you should be too. If you want to go out to the Summer League, you can, of course, get tickets and go out there. Check it out, whatever you want, UNLVTickets.com. But if you want a four-pack of tickets to any day of the NBA Summer League uh, where all 30 teams compete up to eight games per day, Thomas and Max Center and Cox Pavilion from July 7th to 17th, you can win them right now. Caller 5, four-pack of tickets any day of the Summer League, 364-1100. You can do that. We are going to talk with a good friend of the show, a friend of everyone, Tracy Murray. Former star player joins us. How you doing, sir? How you doing? Thanks for having me, Tracy. You know, before we get started, you know, you're you're the guest, you're the NBA guy, but every I, I have to ask you because I need to know how everybody's favorite Thomas and Mac Cox Pavilion personality. I can't even use the word usher because he's a personality. How is Pops <laughs> Murray? He's doing good, man. I just left him not too long ago. He's ready to play some golf in the morning. <laughs> you know, he's 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 ready to get after it. That's that's my guy, and and there's there's such a still a love for you know you we communicated last night. You're like just touched down in L.A. on my way to Vegas. So there's always some love for UNLV. And before we get into the summer league, before we get into the offseason shenanigans that we're about to, you know, be enlightened by with all these moves, um, it's always fun with you to recap 
the UNLV 90s potential rosters, what might have included you. I know that the UNLV was in your final five. I believe UCLA, Villanova, Louisville, New Mexico were the other four. They were, they were the final two. The, the, oh, UCLA and UNLV were the final UCLA. two. Yep. I mean, just enlighten, just real quick breeze by what, so, you know, with a lot of the, if, if Tark would have been there and there would have been no trouble, just what those lineups would have looked like through the 90s. Oh, you know, that would have been crazy because um, Ed O'Bannon and Sean Tarver would have still been there. I would have been there, possibly uh, Jay Kidd, uh, Jalen Rose, Chris Weber, Juan Howard. There was a lot of guys that were lined up. It was, it was going to be a dynasty coming through there. Oof. Now, just the names, just the names, everybody. Just listen to those names. What that UNLV program would have been like. Well, we, uh, you know, we talk about UNLV. We just had Southern Nevada Sports Hall of Fame. We talk about, um, you know, some of the UNLV players that are in there. You went into the UCLA Hall of Fame. What, what was that like? You know what? It was incredible because when you talk about the UCLA Hall of Fame, you're not just talking about one sport. You're talking about all of these icons from every sport that's come through UCLA. And they're not just an impact at UCLA. They're an impact globally. So so to be in the same Hall of Fame as a Jackie Robinson, a Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Arthur Ashe, and Ann Myers-Drysdale, you know, I mean, I mean, Rafer uh, uh, Johnson. It's like, I'm, I'm naming, you know, people who are all-time great, you know, in every sport, you know. And, and it's just incredible, and it's, it's truly an honor to be in a Hall of Fame with all of those names involved. So we know the great career at UCLA, uh, great NBA career coaching too, but the L.A. basketball is UCLA and it's the Lakers. And the Clippers are kind of in there too, I guess. But the Lakers <laughs> tradition, what is going on? I mean, is there hope for the Lakers going forward with what they've got now, or is it time to think about the future? You know, it's, it's, you know, if you look at this roster maybe three, four years ago, five years ago, yeah, you're terrified of this roster. <laughs> but basketball is a young man's sport. So, I mean, you're looking at guys that, that aren't the same guys that they were in their prime. LeBron is the only one, honestly, that's still, you know, something to worry about when it comes to the older guys because he still plays at a high level. You got to worry about Westbrook because he's kind of in his prime. He, you know, last year, you know, he was just trying to figure that whole situation out. And I, and I think Coach Ham, you know, Darvin, a good friend of mine, you know, I played with him in Washington. And, you know, he's got a challenge on his hands. And, and I think, you know, he's up for the job to try to figure that situation out. You know, you look at, you know, Carmelo is an ISO guy, but it, it, it's like, when he's young, the ISO works. But when, when you're older, it, it kind of doesn't. So, I mean, I have the utmost respect to all of those guys, all of the future Hall of Famers. Um, but, but basketball is a young man's sport. For sure. Well, that is the voice of Tracy Murray joining us on the show. Uh, former UCLA star, longtime NBA player. Uh, very familiar to fans out here, as we talked about. Potential potential UNLV player back in the day. Um, yes. But we want, <laughs> definitely want to get your thoughts on uh, what this time of year is like. Like, as a player, uh, obviously you moved around quite a bit in your career, but with all the movement that goes on in the offseason, are players monitoring as much as fans are? Are you guys, like, locked in every day? Like, what is who's moving where? Who's go, who's doing what? Whoa, that happened? There is more movement now than there's ever been. Yeah. Um, when I first came in, 
yeah, I moved twice before landing on the team. <laughs> I, I think we were the beginning of all of this movement on draft day back in 92. Um, but there's been so much movement since the draft that I don't even know where everybody is landing. <laughs> I'm hearing names being thrown around. I'm like, are you kidding me? This guy, why are they getting rid of this guy? You know, when he's been a significant part of what they're doing. So, you know, and that was just with the different rumors. I don't know what they're doing with the Caldwell Pope and the, you know, the players involved with that. So, uh, it's, it's a lot of movement and there's going to be continuous, a lot of continuous movement until training camp. So hang on to your seats. Could you have, could you have imagined, obviously with the growth and everything, but could you have imagined that, um, in certain, books that offer apps that you could bet on where a player may end up. There were odds. What were we talking about the other day, Adam? With Who was it? The numbers dropped. Uh, well, there's definitely in the draft, too. But, yeah, some some guys for where they're going to play in the offseason. There, yeah. there is betting available in faraway places of, yeah. like, where they're going to end up. And, like, that's that's where it's gotten now. We can bet on where somebody might play next. Yeah, yeah, the game has changed a lot. When, when the NBA opened up the betting and allowed it, uh, it changed everything. You know, as far as, uh, the, you know, I never would have thought that the NBA, even the Summer League, would be in Las Vegas because of the betting, because of the casinos. But, you know, fast forward, here we are. You know, it's, it's, it's not, uh, not as bad as it, you know, as it used to be that everybody's in on the business of betting now. So, um, let's just hope it doesn't affect the play on the court. Sure. Um, we just got done watching, uh, you know, the, the Warriors win another title. How impressive is this team to you? I mean, obviously the, the, they have kind of changed a little bit of how the game is played and, and what Steph Curry does and, and Thompson with him. But how impressive is this team as you watch them and see what they're able to do? Well, they're, they're so unselfish and, and their blueprint is the same. They just get a similar player. And then they plug them back in, whether it's a free agent, whether it's through the draft. They get a similar player to what they had. They plug them in there and they work them through. Like, you can't tell me that um, the kid from Michigan is, is not like Steph. I mean, he is. You know, you can't tell me that Wiggins wasn't like a Harrison Barnes. He, he gave more than Harrison Barnes. He's more like an Iguodala. You know, it's like they're, they're, they're looking for the next guy like Draymond, but they haven't found him yet. They've, they've, they've had a couple of guys that, that can shoot the basketball. That, that can be, you know, a possible Thompson replacement. But the one thing that's constant with them is that, number one, they move the ball, ball movement, people movement. Number two, this goes, you know, overshadowed all the time. Even though they were the smaller team, they, they played defense. And then when, when, when Gary Payton, you know, came back uh, from injury, the defense got better. Wiggins, he's a key component on the defensive end. Of course, we know what Draymond does. Steph's defense is better. Clay started moving better in the finals. The defense is the key. That's what wins championships. That's what wins games. We got only about a minute left here. Did you did you ever think that summer league would get to the point that it is in Vegas? Now it's such a cool event, such a gathering for the league. Did you ever see this coming? No, I didn't see it coming. And then, you know, I mean, hats off to the NBA, you know, what they've done. I mean, not only is it, is it a gathering for, for present players and future players, but it's also past players that are there doing, 
you know, the, the retired players convention during the summer league. So it's like a big extravaganza going on at the same time. It's like NBA for like, like two weeks, just NBA people everywhere. <laughs> Follow Tracy Murray at Real Tracy Murray. See everything he's got going on. We really appreciate the time, man. Always a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for having me, guys. Take care. All right, team. We'll see you in a little bit. For sure. Great stuff, as always, from Tracy Murray. Come back. Big Five coming up next. And, of course, Taco Bell Talk.